some device, you'll be looking at the, the text with us. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. 1 Samuel 17. So um, typically here at Redeemer, what we're doing is we're preaching um, straight through a book. Um, so we spent most of the fall um, looking at 1 Samuel. Uh, we made it through 16 chapters, and then we got to Advent. And so we took the last four weeks um, and looked specifically at some themes that, that come in the Christmas season of hope, joy, peace, and love. And, and so this morning, um, we're, we're segueing back into 1 Samuel. So there's a little bit of, it feels a little bit like a hard shift, right? Like it, it's been Christmas, 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 and now all of a sudden back into Samuel. And so I'm going to do just a little bit of recap um, to help us um, kind of land back, begin to get our minds back into the, the flow of 1 Samuel. If you remember, we, we, 1 Samuel picks up, and, and where we're at, we're some 3,000 years removed from this book. And it's in a period where the, the judges have ruled Israel, and we are leaving that period and moving into a monarchy, right, where they're going to have a, a, a ruler. And in Judges, the era that they were in was this idea that, it, every, that every man did what was right in his own eyes, that it was, it was, it was rough. Um, it was a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of issues, a lot of immorality, a lot of difficulty. And the people were beginning to look around and go, hey, we want a king. We want someone like the nations, someone that will make us look like them, feel like them. We want someone to lead us, to be impressive. And, and ultimately what is happening is the nation of Israel is rejecting God, who is their king, who has provided for them, who has delivered them, who has fought their battles, who has ruled them graciously, kindly, and good. That they're saying, hey, God, not, not you, we want something else. And they're, they're wanting a lesser thing. And so it begins with the, the faithfulness in this season of, of a lot of not faithfulness that we see Hannah and her family, right? We see her crying out, asking God to bless her with a child and that she will devote it back to the Lord. And this child is Samuel. And he becomes... Um, a, a great prophet, really the first national leader in a long time, maybe really even since Moses and Joshua, the first one that just kind of has the, the voice and an ear of all the people. And as he begins, he's the one that says, listen, if you go after a king, you're going to regret it, right? They're going to they're gonna enslave you, even if you're not a slave, like because of taxes, because of land, because of work, because of having to build a whole system around the monarchy. Um, this is not going to go well for you. And that God ultimately tells Samuel, listen, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So you're going to anoint a king for them. And so Saul steps into the scene. And, and remember, Saul we see is impressive in, in stature. The scripture talks about him being a, a head taller than any other man, that he was impressive, and yet that, that was not as impressive as it might at first appear, because the only ones who we see height talked about in Scripture, are, are, are enemies of God, are bad leaders and bad rulers. And we see Saul hiding in the baggage, right? Like literally avoiding his own kind of coronation, right? That he does, he's just dense. And that spiritually, he's always turning to what's going on in the world and not turning to the things of God. And yet we see victories in Saul and we see difficulty in Saul. And so Saul, in, in the last few chapters, has been rejected as king because of his just complete unwillingness to obey what God has asked. And so in chapter 16, which we saw a month ago, Samuel has now anointed privately, secretly, 
David as the new king of Israel. But Saul is still in power. He's still the king. So a few people know that David will be the future king. Most don't. And that's kind of where we left off of this, like, hey, Saul has been rejected. He will not be the king. His lineage will not have the throne. A new king, this young man, David, is going to be. And now we kind of pick the drama back up. And so I think it's important for us this morning, if you've looked at chapter 17 um, at all, I mean, even just in these moments, you're going to see it's David and Goliath, right? Maybe one of the most famous stories um, in all of Scripture, let alone, it's just one that has, has made it worldwide, right? Like we, we're familiar with the David and Goliath theme. Um, you see it in March Madness, right? You see it in movies all the time. It's just a, a very consistent, well-known theme. And I think coming on the hills of Christmas and then walking right into David and Goliath, we need maybe a reminder this morning that when we have these familiar stories, stories that we have heard as children, stories we've seen in media, stories that we've heard as adults, things that we could say and tell and do ourselves, that we often come to them and we believe we've wrung all the truth out of them. And so we're like, there's nothing more to be known, there's nothing more to be learned. And would we take a caution this morning that, that the, the goal of a sermon, the goal of the Christmas season, is not to always to learn something new, it's to worship. Right? It is to be arrested once again by the character of God, to see His faithfulness and His might, His kindness and His glory. Right? That we don't go back to the familiar stories of Christmas going, what, what nugget can I pull out of here to impress someone? But it's to be like our attention to be brought to the fact that God came for us. Right, that He put on flesh for those who were His enemies to make us right with the Father. And as we go into a story like David and Goliath, would we not be looking for a nugget of truth to ring out of this, but instead would we worship God this morning? So let's pick up in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Socah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socah and Azkah and Ephesimim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line a battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield-bearer went before him, and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Right? So we, you can imagine this scene, right, where there's, there's two armies on two mountains and they're looking at each other. There's a valley, right, that no one's sneaking up on each other. They're looking at each other. 
and they're in a stalemate. The Philistines are a familiar foe, right? We've seen them multiple times already. It's a foe that we see fighting against Israel often in Scripture. And we know that the Philistines had superior tech, right? Like they were already in the Iron Age while Israel was in the Bronze Age. And, and in chapter 13, that it, Israel had to go to have their, their, like their plows and their, their farming implements worked on by the Philistines because the Philistines weren't sharing their knowledge and understanding of metal with other nations. They, they were superior in might and in power and in their implements. And so just a little bit of, of insight here. Um, Sam, or, sorry, Samson. Goliath is roughly nine foot nine. Um, massive. In the last hundred years, the largest person that's been measured in, in the world is a guy named Robert uh, Wadlow. Um, in, in 1940, it was 8'11", right? Um, which is hard to fathom if you've seen pictures of him. And so, you know, Goliath had some, some size on this guy. His chain mail that he was wearing, in the shekels, the weight would be about 126 pounds, right? Um, and the, the spearhead would have been roughly 15 pounds, right? Like not just the whole spear, but the spearhead. So you think, I was, I was thinking about bringing something up here, right, and trying to hold it out and just keep my arm steady, let alone throwing it and hitting it with any sort of accuracy, right? Like it's, it's just, it's impressive. He was a large man. And the, the writer of Samuel is giving us lots of detail. He is painting a vivid picture here of this behemoth standing there, decked out, Right? Haunting Israel. And what are you going to do? You remember last, well, this was a month ago, I can't say last week. Um, as David is anointed king, when Samuel shows up to meet with Jesse and to meet his son, it, right, he, he looks at each of the sons, assuming it's going to be the most impressive looking one. And what does he tell us in verse 7 of chapter 16? The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Speaking of the oldest son of Jesse. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The chapter 17 is almost an object lesson of this verse. Of like, hey Israel, were you paying attention? Like, Did you hear what I said that man looks at one thing, but God looks at something else? And so we're going to follow this, this beautiful kind of pithy verse with, with chapter 17, now I'm going to lay out an impressive specimen before you. And are you going to look at him as man looks at him, or are you going to look at him as how God looks? Right? And so that's the, that's the call for us this morning, right? That when we see something that brings terror and might, how are we viewing it? And so we have Goliath standing and taunting the army of God. Impressive, powerful, with superior text. So let's pick up in verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite, I'm not going to get that word out, of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who were in, went to the battle were Elab the firstborn, and next, to, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine, meaning Goliath, came forward 
and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Take also these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line and shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So it shall be done to the man who kills him. All right, so we, we see, right, that, that all of Israel is kind of out there. All the men are fighting or are ready to fight. And for 40 days now, they've, they've, they've seen Goliath come out twice a day to taunt and to mock them. And there's just a stand, standstill, right, a stalemate. And so now we kind of focus in and zoom in on one family in particular, right, of a scene that would have been being repeated over and over again of a younger sibling who's not yet able to fight, taking food to older siblings who are there, right? He's going to check on them to bring back news to his father and to his family, how the brothers are doing, making sure that they're okay. And for 40 days, this has been going on. And you can imagine kind of the zealous, like youthful, um, I mean, David's, he's a, he's a young man, a teenager potentially, right, running out and going, hey, I want to run to the front lines and see what's going on. And he sees Goliath and he hears these taunts and that he begins to, to be stirred and it's like, and this man is mocking our God. Like, what is going on? But as we've seen in verse 16 that this has happened for 40 days, what the, what the author is trying to do is, is take us back to another scene with giants. And if you go to Numbers 13 and 14, right, we have the, the spies going in for Moses to check the land that God has promised them. Right? And they come back and go, hey, there's some big dudes in there. They're giants. Like We're like grasshoppers to them, and they're going to wipe us out. And ten of the spies say, we can't do this. And they rally the people where Caleb and, J- and Joshua are like, no, 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 like, God has given us this. Like We need to go into war. We need to go into battle. Like God has promised and said we need to do this. And the people rebel. They don't trust God. And what happens? For 40 years, they're going to wander in the wilderness. Right, like they're tying these stories together that for 40 years the people of God, because they did not trust Him, wandered in the wilderness, and now for 40 days the living God is being mocked by another giant. So let's pick up in verse 28. 
Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Right? You can imagine David speaking to the, the guys around him. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another, and he spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And, David, and Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he took in his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So, so we, we continue to just get to zoom in on this story for just a moment, right? And you see just like family drama, some of which you've experienced in the last week, right? Of like the oldest brother seeing his like pes, pesky younger brother sitting there talking with the men, and he's just like, you don't belong here, right? Like you need to go away. And that David's like, what have I done this time, right? Like, you, did you hear that this week? Like, what do I do now? That, that he is aggravated because he's asking legitimate questions because he believes that the living God is being mocked and humiliated and defied. And he's like, what are we going to do about it? Like, come on, like, there's a plan, right? And the brothers are probably feeling a little scared and a little defensive. And like, their little brother is showing them up. And so they're like, hey, get out of here. Like, leave. And somehow... Right? It ends with Saul and David talking. And, and David, David is saying, like, I'll go do it. Like, I'll do it. And Saul, it's, it's a comical scene, right? Dresses him up in his armor. Right? The question that we should be asking is, why is Saul not out there? If Saul was a head higher, if he's the leader of the nation, if he has been promised you're going like, to bring victory, why has he not gone out to face Goliath? And instead, he's dressing this, this youth up. And, and you can imagine, right, just like a, a boy in his father's clothing, right? He doesn't fill it out, and he can't move, and he's like, yeah, this isn't going to work. And so he, he ends up taking his shepherd's staff and five stones and a sling, and he goes out not dressed for war at all. And, and really what needs to happen here is, are we looking at Saul's lack of faith with, in comparison, to David's faith, right? That, that David was not the impressive, physically imposing man. Saul was. And maybe he wasn't a Goliath, but he was the best 
specifically that Israel had to offer, and he's not choosing to go out. But, but David is not going, hey, I, I can take him you know, mano a mano. He's trusting God. He's believing the stories that he's heard. We see in verse 15, in verse 28, in verse 34, these reminders that David is a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. One who fought off. He isn't like, well, it's just one lamb. I'm alive. The rest of the sheep are good. We'll let the bear have one. Like he's like, with like youthful vigor, maybe a little impulsive, right? Like, like taking on lions and bears. And, he's, and you can almost hear like bravado of a teenage boy. And man, I grabbed it by the beard and killed it, right? Like, like I mean, you can just hear that, and you can see his brothers going, oh, David, shut up. Like, like, just go home. And, and yet, we see this, just, this, this faith that is boiling up in David because God's honor is being defied. That David wants to... Here's what we know. David's trusting the stories. And this is the people of God. They, they have right, God speaking. They have Him going up against one of the great world powers in Egypt and removing His people and walking them through the wilderness, right? And, and being their provider and their defender and their protector throughout. We even can go back just within a generation in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 1 Samuel where the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. And what happens to Dagon, their God, and their temple? falls over and loses its head. Because God's like, I don't need an army to fight for me. I'm the living God. Like David is simply saying, I don't think I can take Goliath, but the living God is who we're fighting for, and He'll do this. How? I don't know. But He'll do it. I believe the stories. And He's told me I'm going to be king, so I'm going to go out there and take care of this. Where Saul, who has also been anointed king, who is physically imposing who has been told, like, you're going to lead us to victories, you're going to do these great things, by God, was gifted the Spirit, is going, he's huddled up with the rest, scared and dismayed. Right? That we, we're supposed to be looking at these two different men. What, when, did we met, when we met Saul, he was a bad shepherd, right? He had lost donkeys and couldn't find them. That we're seeing that Saul does not have faith where David does, Saul is not a good shepherd where David is, which is going to lead itself to what kind of leader are they going to be. Saul does not trust the stories or the character of God, and yet David does. And so we are being reminded, Lord, that, that, that God is looking at what's going on internally, not externally here. And so we're being asked like, to consider this. As he goes out, we see this physically imposing man and this small, ruddy boy and he goes forth. Let's pick up verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down 
and cut off your head, and I will give the dead, um, the, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. And the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. And David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. Shocking. Right? Like, I was trying to think of, like, what, what does this look like? I mean, it's almost anticlimactic. Right? That, like, that Goliath is, he's disdaining David because he's not a worthy opponent. Right? Like, he at least is like, I know I'm going to win, so at least give me something I can talk about. No one's going to be impressed if I kill a boy. And like he barely gets the words out and he's dead. And, and, and thinking about like, has, has it, this ever really been captured in a movie at all? Like, and I was thinking about Indiana Jones, right? Remember the scene where the dude's out there with the sword and he's, and, and he just pulls out a gun and shoots him, right? And it's just like it's over. And you're like, oh, that's not the fight I was expecting. Like, you know, you're expecting like this action scene and it's just over. And so you can just imagine the horror of the Philistines of like, Wait, what's Goliath doing as he falls over? That David never gets in reach of him and just kills him and he's dead. Listen to Leviticus 24, this is verse 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. David fulfilled the law. And he stoned the one who was blaspheming the name of God, defying him. Like he is, he, he's meeting right, the law's requirement. Listen, Saul could not deliver. David, though, isn't boasting or beating his chest, right? Because he knows the victory was in the hands of the living God. If you go back to Hannah's prayer in chapter 2, listen to just a couple, in a couple of verses. Verse 7, The Lord will make poor and make rich. He brings low and He exalts. And then verse 9, He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. Why? For not by might shall a man prevail. Right? That we're seeing this song and this praise that Hannah has laid forth is coming true. That God is exalting this, this young man, right? In the face of all appearances, 
Because it's not by His might, but it was by trust in the fame and the, the character and the faithfulness of God to do what God had said He would do, to prevail. So listen, as, as we look at this familiar story, um, we have been told that this story is for us to go out, right, to fight and to slay our giants, right? And you've got to identify your giants, and you've got to overcome your obstacles. And 2020 has been a great obstacle, right? So you're thinking, hey, it's a New Year Sunday almost. In 2020, man, let's go slay some giants. And that's not the story. Like, that's not the point. That's not the goal of the story at all. It's not about overwhelming odds. You could argue that David wasn't the underdog because he had God on his side. Right? Like, there was never a doubt in mind as who was going to win. This story has been co-opted. It is not about upstarts or courage. It's about trusting the name, the fame, and the character of God. And so the first question that we often ask um, wrongly is, where am I in this story? Right? And so because of that, we've had some crazy like, stories about us being David. We're not David. Right? The question we ask is this, is where is Jesus? If you want to find yourself in this story, you're in a huddled tent up on a mountain, scared to death of the Philistines. That's, that's who we are. Like, if we're even on the battlefield, that's, what, that's who we are. But where is Jesus? And church, would we be reminded this morning that we have an enemy that taunts us. As, as Goliath was taunting the nation of Israel and defying God, we have an enemy that taunts us as well. It's death. Right? And we have, we have come face to face, many of us, more this year than we ever have, right, with death. And so death, right, it, it taunts us because... We are created for eternity. And because we're created for eternity, we know something's wrong and that death isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so you'll see, we, we could kind of categorize it in four potential responses. Some of us decide, hey, I'm going to work out like crazy, eat really good, and I'm going to defy death, right? Um, some of us go, hey, I'm going to be super moral because I, I think there's, I've got to like make God be happy with me. I know death's coming, but I'm going to try to just be as good as I can be. Some of us stick our head in the sand, right? Especially when we're young and we're just like, hey, death isn't coming for me, right? I'll deal with that when I'm old. And others eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow death is coming. And so they just kind of throw their hands up and say, we'll just deal with it, right? By, by being, taking all the pleasure we can. Because we have this enemy that just kind of looms out there. And it's why things like COVID have freaked us out because it, it, it pokes and our vulnerability. And we fear death. And it taunts us, and it says it's coming for us. Listen, David and Goliath here in this, this situation, they, they represented their nations as they went head to head. And we've seen this elsewhere. If you go to Romans 5, I want you to listen to this. This is verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that man? It's Adam. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Our enemy, right, is death because death separates us from God, right? And it came into the world because we sinned, because of one man. But then he says, hey, just so you know, don't throw rocks at Adam because you sinned too, right? We are all rebels. We're all sinners. We have all rebelled against the Holy One. Death is deserved by all of us. And so we begin to put Adam out here as this representative of death and of sin and of fear. 
But pick up in verse 18 of Romans 5. Therefore, as one trespass, one sin led to, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came to increase the trespass, but whether sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? That, that Adam right, is the rep for our, our death, our sin, our life, apart from God, and Jesus steps in and says, you have an enemy, and I'm going to defeat it. You have a greater enemy than Goliath, and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to end this for you. Listen, the gospel turns everything on its head, and we need to be reminded of, of 1 Samuel 16, 7, about appearances, because God came humbly and lived a life where He had no place to lay His head and then took on apparent defeat at the cross, right? Like, and so we have to ask the question, what are we looking to deliver us? Like, what are we looking to rescue us? And for some, right, it's money, for relationships, for power. For some of you, it's a new year. Right? It's simple. Or it's a vaccine. Or it's health. Or maybe it's normalcy. Like, you just, you're looking for normalcy to deliver you back to peace. Listen, Adam lost to the snake. David provided a victory here that was temporary, but Jesus defeats our, our permanent enemy. His death is the death, of Christ, is, is the death of death. His life on our behalf, His death and substitutionary atonement for us, and His subsequent resurrection has defeated our enemy. It's gone. Death can't taunt you any longer if you're in Christ. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Death doesn't get the final say anymore. And yet death is still there taunting because many don't know Jesus. And if we're not careful, we're prone to kind of ease back into that mindset of, well, I don't, that's terrifying to me. Right? Are we reminded that the victory has been won, that Jesus will and has delivered us, and that the gospel turns everything on its head? Most of us would look at the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection, and say, I wouldn't have done it that way. What does Paul say? Like, the good news, the gospel has come to, to confound the prideful. Right? How did Jesus come? For the sick, for the lost, for the poor, for those who knew they needed rescue. And his apparent defeat was actually victory, appearances deceived. Because He's alive today. Church, would we be reminded that as David, prior to Jesus, is going, I'll go fight that behemoth because the living God reigns. We have the living God in flesh in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. The living God, right? Listen to Jeremiah 10, verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the everlasting King, at His wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure His indignation. God spoke creation. He was alive. He called Abraham and rose up um, to raise up a people for His own possession. He was alive. 
He led His people out of enslavement in Egypt because He was alive. He provided for them because He was alive. He has fought their battles. And Dagon fell and Goliath fell and our enemies fall because He is alive. He is Emmanuel, God with us because He is alive. The book of Acts with the church being birthed and going forth. Right, Jesus has ascended to heaven and yet the assumption just throughout is because He's alive, we have someone to pray to. He's left His Spirit. He's still at work. And that's the era that we still live in. Because we're waiting for our living King to split the sky and come back to us. Right? We pray this morning. We sing this morning because He hears them and responds to them. He is a living King. And the living God this morning is calling you not to be David, but to rest in a better David who has won the battle that you could not win. He is inviting you in your weakness to trust His strength. To trust that the battle has been won. Will you rest in it and believe in it? Jesus is the greater David who has won a greater victory and has said, celebrate it with me. Trust me in it. And we will walk in it, resting in His grace, His mercy, and His faithfulness. Church, David and Saul's story is just beginning. There's a lot more drama to come. But would we not look to see how am I to be David? But how am I to trust Jesus? Right? Like, let's bring that eye and that heart and that mind to bear in First Samuel. Listen, we're going to pray now. The band's going to come back up. We're going to sing to our living King. And if you need someone to talk to, to pray with, um, at, for any reason, there'll be some men and women in the back of the room. We'd love for you to do that. But let's, let's, let's go to our living God in prayer. Jesus, thank you that your mercy sustains us. Lord, thank you that we can look back um, as, as David did. He looked back at the truth and the hope of your deliverance and the stories of your faithfulness, and he rested and trusted in your character, and then he saw you act in faithfulness. God, would we look back at the faithfulness of your character at the cross, in the life of Jesus, in the resurrection, and know that you are going to come for us again. That you have left us with one another, you have left us with your spirit, you have left us with your word. Father, that we don't have to save ourselves. That our, our enemy has been defeated. Death can no longer haunt us with any vigor. So Father, if death terrifies us, would we, would we lean in and, and try to figure out why? Is it because we've given too much voice to an enemy that's already lost? Or is it potentially because we just don't know you? Father, for those who don't, would you call them even now? Would you be the louder voice in their life? speaking, calling, rescuing. Father, would we sing, have the boldness of David, that our living God reigns and rules and is worthy of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.